Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Vineyard. My name is Adam. I'm the pastor here. Good to have you with us this morning. Happy Sunday, everybody. Finally feels like fall, doesn't it? Yeah, the air has finally changed. It's, it's different now. Um, hey, here's what I want to do this morning. We're going to continue our little series on uh, Vineyard Values. We started it last week. We're going to continue this week. And we're going to go at least one more week uh, next week. And we're just talking about like some of our underlying foundational values here at the Vineyard, some of what makes us who we are, some of what floats uh, in our DNA. And this is not just stuff that is here local, but this is like, what are the Vineyard values that were in the Vineyard uh, with John Wimber and the founders? And what are we wanting to hold on to here? And so for that reason, uh, today I want to talk to you uh, about uh, something that John Wimber often said. Uh, John Wimber often said this. He said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And Reese, I think I have a title slide. You can put that up. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's the title of today's uh, message. And this one I want to talk to you about. But before I get into maybe the scriptures this morning, uh, I want to give you two, two images. Uh, the, the first image that I want you to hold in your mind is, is something like this. Um, maybe, maybe you've had children. And if you haven't had children, maybe you've been around babies. And uh, here's what happens at a certain point with a baby. Uh, they grow uh, bigger and bigger, and they go from these little things you hold, and then suddenly at a certain point, they, they, they crawl around on the ground, and then the next thing they do is they start pulling up on every coffee table and every end table and couch in the house, and then, and then they do this thing where they start letting go. Do you guys remember this? You ever, you ever see a kid do this? They start letting go, and then they... They do these like little side steps. And then one day they let go and they start doing forward steps and, and they start walking. And, and it's almost like this. Like you just realize in that moment how unsafe your house is. <laughs> like you, your house was fine and now it's completely not fine because there's this wobbly little like nine, 10 or 11 month old kid who's beginning to take their first steps. Now, here's the other thing that a kid who's learning how to walk does a lot. They fall down a lot. They fall down a lot. Isn't that right? Uh, they, they fall usually straight on their butts like 300 times a day. So they take a few steps and they fall down. Or they, they fall on their hands and knees. And it just happens over and over. And then finally, one day you look up and they're no longer falling down. They're just running through your house, uh, shredding everything, right? <laughs> but here's the thing I want you to hold in your mind as you think about this image. I want you to hold in your mind this image of a little baby who's learning how to walk and he falls down a lot. And here's the, the, the thing I want you to hold. No one gets mad at the baby for falling down, right? No one gets mad. In fact, people are excited, aren't they? They're like, yes, my little kid is like doing stuff. This is really cool. Uh, they're transitioning from, you know, stationary baby to mobile baby and no one is mad when the baby falls down. Okay, that's image number one. Image number two is this. Um, I want you to imagine this, and maybe it's happened to you. I'm sure it's happened to some of you in the room. Um, you're an adult. Uh, you move around, great. And maybe because of sickness or because of injury, let's just say injury. 
you, you end up with a cast on your leg or you end up with a boot on your foot, you know, one of those medical devices on your foot for like seven or eight weeks, right? And then one day you go to the doctor and they cut the cast off or they take your foot out of the boot. And now what has happened to your foot and your leg? It's shrunk. It's amazing. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen like people's arms or legs when they get the cast taken off and then you put them next to the other one and you know, all of a sudden their other leg is like beefy and muscular. And then this other leg that was been in the boot or the cast, it is shrunk and it's not shrunk a little bit, but it's like massively shrunk. Uh, here's the other thing that happens. Uh, not only does your leg shrink because the muscle wasn't being used, but all of a sudden you realize you're not as agile as you were. All those tendons are like, just, they just haven't been used. And those little stabilizer muscles that you never think about, they haven't been used. And you're not the athlete that you were even eight weeks ago. So two images. One, baby learning how to walk. Baby falls down. No one's mad at the baby. Second image, something's been injured or for any number of reasons hasn't been used. And then that muscle atrophies. But after a period of time of use, what happens to the muscle? It's strong again. It goes right back. And it goes back actually pretty quickly. Just like that. Just like that. Well, uh, we're in a little series here at the Vineyard called Vineyard Values. And what we want to do is highlight some of our ethos as vineyard people. Uh, Last week, what I talked to you about was ministry without hype. Doing ministry, but without any hype. We're not working something up. Uh, We can... Instead, we can relax, we can dial down, we can tell the truth, we can respect our humanity, and God will work anyway. That's kind of what we were talking about today. Yes, last week, rather. But today, I want to talk to you about another value, which comes from something that John Wimber used to say, which is, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. And what he meant by that was something like this. Uh, He meant that faith was not just something you hold in your head, right? Faith is not just a set of ideas or things you believe in your brain. Uh, Instead, faith is that thing that motivates you or causes you to embody the reality, right? Like faith in the vineyard is not just something that's located in my neurons, but it's actually something we endeavor to embody and to bring into being. Uh, We want to see it. We want to see it manifested among us. Uh, Instead, Christian faith is always embodied And it's embodied uh, in a way that oftentimes uh, that causes us to lean into risk. So in in order to embody certain parts of the Christian faith, uh, we actually have to like lean forward in a way that maybe looks or feels risky. Uh, And this is especially true if we want to live and move in this world like Jesus and his disciples. You know, Um, if you read the gospels and you see the things that Jesus says and does, you know, that would be one story. But the problem with the Gospels is, is that the things that Jesus says and does, uh, they become the things that the disciples say and do. And if you read some church history, what you find out is that it becomes the thing that the historic church has said and done. And in order to embody that kind of faith, it means leaning forward with a kind of embodiment that is, is risky. Just want to highlight maybe a couple moments from the Gospels. I was thinking about this week. Um, First one I was thinking about was that moment when James and John were working with their father as fishermen like they did every single day. And then one day Jesus shows up and he says, hey, James and John, 
I want you to drop your nets and follow me. And what did they do? They dropped their nets and they left everything, including their father, and they followed Jesus. What is, what is another word you could put on that moment? Risk. <laughs> it's like risk in a million ways, right? Like number one, who is this guy who just called us? Now, they probably had heard maybe a rumor around, about, around Jesus up to this point, but they clearly didn't know him. Uh, you're leaving your dad, and in the first century, family is not only everything, but family is the way you survive, right? All of a sudden, in order to respond to Jesus, that kind of spark of faith or spark of trust required them to, to leave something, and that's like a risky move. Risk. I was also thinking about that moment. I, I referenced it, I think, in last week's sermon, one of my favorite passages, where the guy who has leprosy comes to Jesus and he says, he says, uh, if you're, if you're, I know you can make me clean if you're willing, right? And Jesus reaches out and, she, and he touches the leprous man and he says, are you kidding? I'm willing, be clean. How many of you know that, that in the first century, especially if you're a Jew, uh, touching people with leprosy, there's another word for that. Risky, this is risky. I mean, this is risky on like a hundred levels. Like number one, could you get the disease this man has? I don't know, maybe, you know, I'm not a doctor, maybe. Uh, number two, sociologically, for Jesus to reach out and touch this man meant that he's ceremonially unclean, which means that he's cut off from everybody, right? That's a huge social risk. But here's Jesus, because of compassion, he reaches out and he touches the man. And, and rather than Jesus becoming infected, the man becomes clean. Yeah, there's another word for that. It's called risk. Um, I love this other moment in the Gospels where there's this guy who can't walk, but he has really good friends. And they pick him up on a mat and they try to take him to Jesus, but there's so many people, they say, well, here's what we could do. Let's carry him to the roof of the... There's so many things about this story that are interesting to me. They carry him to the roof of the house and they're, and they're like, well, let's just tear a hole in the roof and we'll lower him down, right? Like, there's like seven moments in this story and the only word you could use for any of those moments is risk, right? Number one, who, who, who carries a lame guy on a mat up to the second floor? Like, just getting him up there has to be a risk to everyone involved, right? Like you could, the poor man could fall out. Now, now long, not only is he lame, but he has a broken nose. And then you get to the, the roof and then you're like, well, the idea is we'll just tear a hole in the house. Like no one will mind. We'll just imagine your house, you know, your brand new house. And, there's, and all of a sudden there's somebody up there with a chainsaw. And there's, hey, don't worry about it. We'll, somebody will take care of it, you know? And then how do they get him down? I don't know. That has to be risky too. And then all of a sudden, you've got this guy who can't walk in the middle of the floor with Jesus. And, and you know, Jesus looks at him and says, hey, son, your sins are forgiven, which is, it set the room off. They were like, what? Yeah. Yeah, if you look at that story with clear eyes at all, there's just risk written all over this, all over it. I was also thinking this week about that moment that Peter preaches to the crowd at Pentecost. You know, uh, sometimes we can look at that with, with stained glass eyes. We're like, oh, the Holy Spirit. And Peter gets up and goes, wow, you know, here's what this is. They're not drunk. This is what Joel talked about. But if you take the stained glass off of that moment, what you have to realize is a lot of those people who were in the crowd at that moment were probably the same people who a few days, were, a few days before were saying, we should kill Jesus. You know, we should kill Jesus. 
And Peter stands up and goes, uh, this is what Joel talked about so long ago in, the, in that other book. And, and not only that, but Jesus Christ, whom you crucified. If you read the, the message that Peter gives, he points right at the crowd and goes, Jesus Christ, whom you crucified, God is raised up. Can I tell you, there's another word for that moment. It's called risky. It's really, really risky. Another one with Peter. If you go further into the book of Acts, uh, Peter is, he's on the roof of this house at one moment. And he gets a vision. It's like, a, like an open vision. And in the open vision, he sees this blanket come down from heaven and there's all these animals on the blanket. And Peter says, well, Lord, what is this about? Uh, and the Lord says, Peter, get up, kill and eat. And Peter says to the Lord, Lord, I, I'm, ne- I'm not doing this because so many of those animals that are on that blanket, they're not clean. They're like, un- there's like, there's like things we're not supposed to eat. And the spirit says to Peter, don't call what I call clean, unclean. And then all of a sudden, You can't separate these two moments. So he gets this very strange vision that seems to be about God calling things clean that maybe were first understood to be unclean. So there's that. And the very next thing that happens is there's a knock on the door. And it's guys from Cornelius' house. And they've come to get Peter to come tell them about the Messiah. Now, you have to put these together because Cornelius is a Roman soldier, leader, captain guy, right? And Romans are not Jews, they're Gentiles. And so Peter gets up and he goes with them. These moments are absolutely clean. And one way of reading that text would be something like this. Uh, The people that you thought were out or in, the people that you thought were unclean, God has called clean, you should go with them. And so Peter gets up and he goes with them and and he preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit comes with power. Can I tell you what another word for that whole moment is? It's risk. It's risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. If we're putting our trust into Jesus, if we're following him at all, if we're listening to the spirit, if we're living an embodied faith, it's not just all of, it's not just going to be in our heads. Uh, There will be risk. And because of this, there's what we might call a kingdom paradox. I love John Wimber's formulation here. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Uh, Because he's highlighting a paradox of sorts. By putting faith and risk together, he's highlighting this like tension and this this like paradox. Because faith, faith is another word for trust. Honestly, most of the time when in the Bible, when you read the word faith, you should, or belief, you should just read the word trust. It's it's in many ways a better word. And and how many of you understand that if you trust something, uh, you trust it because it's trustworthy, Right? And if something's trustworthy, then it's sure, and it's good, and it's stable, and it's true. There's all these other things we could add to it, right? But faith is like associated with something that's like good, sure, trustworthy, stable, and, and, and concrete, and solid, and, and effective faith. And risk is what? <laughs> the unknown. Risk is associated with things that are not known, things that are unsure, and things that might feel shaky rather than stable and and, and true, right? And part of what this kingdom paradox tells us, or at least in John Wimber's formulation, is something like this, that in God's kingdoms, in God's kingdom, the things that are trustworthy and true uh, and the things that are sure lead us out into what feels like shaky ground. 
This is how it works. You, you, start with, you start with the trustworthy and the stable and true, and the more you lean into it, it's going to cause you to move out into what feels like risky territory. Just like Peter who leaves the sureness of the boat to walk toward Jesus on the water. It's the reason I chose this painting this morning. Isn't this a great one? Yeah, I mean, G- Peter, he's out there with the disciples and Jesus is back on the land praying. And they're, you know, row, row, row your boat across the lake and a storm blows up and they look out and it's like midnight and they think it's a ghost walking on the water, but it's Jesus. Jesus says, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter says, well, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you. It's just so crazy, right? Tell me, and then I'll know. And then Jesus is like, well, come on out, you know? And how many of you know when you step out of the solid, sure, trustworthy floating boat and you put your foot on the water, there's another word for that, right? It's risk. Okay, I want to read you two sections out of John chapter 5, and then I just want to say three things about it really quickly. First section is John 5, 1 through 9. By the way, this is famous vineyard passage here. Like this is one of those passages that has made the vineyard what it is. Right here. It says this, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. And inside the city near the sheep gate was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches and crowds of sick people blind, lame, and paralyzed, and they lay it on the porches. And one of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. There's a story there. We just have to keep moving. But Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and he began walking. Now, this creates some controversy because Jesus did this on the Sabbath. And there were like some other religious leaders who were like, you're not supposed to do this kind of stuff on the Sabbath. Okay, next slide. So the Jewish leaders, they began harassing Jesus for breaking the Sabbath rules. Like as they understood it, shouldn't heal people on the Sabbath, you know? It's one way to understand it. I love this. I want you to notice this. But Jesus replied, my father is always working and so am I. So the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Now imagine that, right? Imagine you're out healing people and people want to kill you. It's, an, it's, a, it's one way to run the railroad. For he not only broke the Sabbath, but he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He only does what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does, for the father loves the son and shows him everything he is doing In fact, the father will show him how to do even greater works than healing this man. Then you're really going to be astonished. Okay, three foundations for risk. Uh, For Jesus and for us, right? Three foundations for risk. Uh, Number one, God is always at work. God is always at work. 
Uh, there is not a person you will ever meet that God is not working with and in. Um, they may be aware of it or they may be unaware of it. But God is always at work. Uh, there's not a situation anywhere that God is not working in. God is always at work. Uh, if, you, if you're going to be a person who has a kind of trust in Jesus that causes you to lean forward into risk, uh, you have to have this, uh, this as your foundation. The knowledge that God is always working. God is always working. Like right now, whatever you think is hopeless, I want you to know God is working in it. Or the person that you think is really far away from God, God is actually working in them and with them. God is always at work. The question is, is am I aware of it? Am I aware of it at all? You know, like am I, am I, am I cognizant of the fact? Am I living with an internal dialogue that just says, you know, God is at work. God is at work. God's at work in you uh, this morning. God's at work in me. Uh, here's what I'd like to tell the church this morning um, as we gather here for first service. God, God's at work in this room. Uh, I mean, that's one of the reasons we get together. And so we can experience the presence and the work of God together. God's at work. God is always at work. Uh, number two. So number one, foundation for risking is this reality. God's at work. Uh, the second part is this. We're invited to join. Did you notice what Jesus says? My father is always at work. And what does he do? He shows me what he's up to. Jesus says the son can do nothing, right? The son can do nothing except that what the father's doing. And the father shows me what he's doing. Uh, there's this invitation to join. Jesus can do nothing on his own. Uh, I can't do anything on my own. You can't do anything on your own. Instead, instead, here's what we do. We just look to see what God is doing and we join it. So when it comes to doing ministry or living an embodied faith, uh, no one here has to make anything up. Uh, no one here has to shoulder the whole load. Uh, no one here has to uh, be dynamic. Uh, no one here has to be awesome all the time. Instead, instead, what we do is we look to see what is, what is the Father doing and how are the ways in which we could join it. So here, here's what I want you to know. God is always at work uh, with everybody you know, uh, in every situation, hopeless or hopeful, God is at work. Uh, God is at work in our city. Uh, God is working in our schools. God is working at your job. And God is working in your neighborhood. And so the question is, do I see it? And then number two, am I feeling invited to join? Right? Like some of us, some of us may look around at Campbellsville and go, you know, there's some things here that need to change. That is 100% true. But here's the first step. What is God doing? And where can I join? So we're always invited to join. So foundations for risk. Number one, God is always at work. Number two, we're invited to join. And then number three, looking to see. Looking to see. Notice that Jesus says the Father shows the Son what he's doing. Uh, Jesus is always looking to see. And that's something we can do as well. We can look to see what God is doing. We can look to see what he's up to, even today. Are we looking to see what God is doing in the lives of others? Uh, have we noticed anything this morning uh, in the room or with the people who are sitting around us? Have we noticed anything? What about this past week? Uh, Jesus, Jesus noticed that God was doing something with this man who had been lying sick by the pool for 38 years. There's, there was something different that day. Uh, many Bible scholars believe that Jesus had maybe walked past this guy before. 
right? Um, presumably there were other sick people who were lying around the pool that day that this guy got healed. But God was doing something in this guy on that day and Jesus speaks to him, right? It isn't just that Jesus is doing the same thing in everybody all the time. It's Jesus was looking to see. And here's a couple things I want to say about seeing. Number one, uh, the more you look, the more you see. Have you ever noticed that? The more you look, the more you see. Uh, there was a few years ago, there's this, um, there's this art gallery hotel in Louisville called 21C. Anybody ever been there? And a few, they have this really cool art gallery that's in their hotel. I mean, it's worth going just to go. And a few years ago, they had this room, and it was very strange. And usually this, this art exhibit or whatever they have there is usually very strange. But they had this room, and basically the room was floor-to-ceiling, every square inch, every square wall in the room, like mixed-media, three-dimensional collage insanity, right? So when you walk in, when you first walk in, it's like overwhelming. There's like, you're just surrounded by all, it was like things were screwed to the wall. I mean, thousands of objects, right? Uh, and apparently these were objects that the artist had found and picked up, uh, basically things that were just thrown, thrown away on the road. It was like, an, it was an art exhibit about, about the way that basically people just throw, throw things away uh, and it ends up in like the ditches out here uh, on the street and how many of those things actually don't go away. It was actually an environmental piece, right? And there were, there's thousands of pieces uh, on the wall, thousands. And when you first walked in, you, you had to take it in as a whole, right? You, you would go in, you're like, it's kind of overwhelming and this looks like a bunch of trash and it kind of is a bunch of trash. And then, and then if you stay there for a moment and you begin to look, the more you look, the more you see. You're like, wow, what is, what is that? And you start looking, you're like, there's all these little things. And the more you look, the more you started to notice all the little things, right? And that's the way it is when it comes to ministry and seeing what God is doing. Like number one, you just have to believe that God is always at work. Number two, you have to start looking. And the more you look, the more you'll see. So the more you look, the more you'll see. And part of what that informs me with is every single day, I want to wake up and look around and go, God, where are you working? Who are you working with? Like, is there any place I could join you? I don't have to carry the whole load, but God, where, where are you at? And where can I come in and maybe be a part? Uh, the second thing I want to say about looking and seeing is this. Seeing often feels like compassion. So number one, the more you look, the more you see. And then number two, seeing often feels like compassion. Or the other way to say it, was this, it would be this. When you feel compassion, you're starting to see, right? This is over and over in the Gospels. Like my favorite story there with the man who had leprosy. The guy comes to Jesus and says, I know, I know you can heal me if you're willing. And the Bible says that Jesus, filled with compassion, reaches out, touches the man and says, I am willing. So, so what that tells me is that there's something about compassion that's actually linked to seeing what God is doing. So one other question might be something like this. Uh, not just what do you see God doing, but in the past month, where have you felt any compassion for anyone or any situation? That's what God's doing. You're starting to see. 
Move towards it. Move towards it. Okay. We started this message talking about babies and atrophy, right? Babies and atrophy. I wanted to start talking about babies and atrophy for two reasons. Uh, number one, uh, there may be some people here in the room and we are, well, we're babies when it comes to faith is spelled R-I-S-K, right? We've had a faith that mostly lives in our head and we want to pull up on the couch and let go and do sidesteps. And that feels really awkward, right? Maybe, maybe we want to start seeing what God is doing and join him. Uh, maybe we want our faith to not just be something that expresses itself at church, but we like it to be in our neighborhoods and at work and at school. And, and how many of you, when you start doing that, that thought experiment of imagining yourself doing the things that Jesus does and saying the things that Jesus says in your real life outside of church, how many of you would admit that feels, oh, I, feel, I feel scared and I feel awkward? <laughs> yeah, uh, that's okay. That's okay. It can be scary and it can be awkward, uh, but it's just babies on the couch. It's just babies on the couch. Uh, no one's going to get mad at you if you fall down. You know, you're just developing new muscles. Now, uh, there's some others of us in the room and you're not, you're not a baby. Uh, in fact, uh, you, you're an adult and you know how to move. And the truth is, is that some of us in the room we know about faith is spelled R-I-S-K, but that muscle has atrophied. And it's atrophied because of, of lack of use. Um, sometimes, sometimes we don't use those muscles because, man, life got busy and all of a sudden we, just, we were just at 147 soccer games. You know, And we were like, we forgot that God was moving because the kids are moving. You know, you just like, I did, I did 19 practices. It was like three weeks ago, Heather and I, we, did, we looked up and we realized we hadn't been home for, at any moment for like 187 days in a row because every single day was just filled with soccer practice or a game, which is great. But here's what will happen in those moments. Things that are essential to your life and to the life of the community can, can atrophy. You know, Another reason that, that sometimes things atrophy is, is, is just disappointment. You know, We tried faith is spelled R-S-K and the outcome's weren't to our liking or, or we just felt vulnerable. And then, so we were like, ah, we start changing the words to from faith is spelled R-S-K to faith is too risky. And then all of a sudden that part of us begins to atrophy and we've got like little tiny muscles, you know, or, or sometimes, or sometimes we just think, oh, real faith is, real faith is, you know, some sort of higher mindedness, you know, and, and we take on something that feels more modern and upper echelon. And then all of a sudden we end up with a faith that's very disembodied. And here's what happens when you have a faith that's disembodied from your actual life and the life of people around you. Uh, there's something essential in your heart and soul and in your life that atrophies. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. So here's what I want to say to the babies in the room. It's okay. Uh, you can... You can do this, no one, no one, and if you fall down and hit your butt, no one cares. Like, it's great, we're going to help you. We're, like, we're actually excited, you know? We're, we're happy. Like, anybody who's making any kind of move, man, we're just happy. And if you're an adult who has an atrophied faith leg, well, this is rehab. 
This is PT. Actually, that's one way to understand church. Church is where you practice so that you can like go do the thing, right? And we, what we want to do is like this is a safe room to like practice some things so that in our actual lives we can see what God is doing, look for ways to join, exercise that muscle, take a risk, and see people touched by the Lord. And so uh, maybe you're somebody here who, who some part of your faith muscle has atrophied, and I just I want to invite you back into looking and seeing, and I want to invite you back into living with an awareness that God is always moving, and I want to invite you back to living from a place of compassion rather than just like duty and the things you've got to do in your day. But there's this other thing that's happening because the kingdom of heaven is always at work. Uh, it's the mustard seed that is always growing. It is the yeast that's always permeating the dough. There's always something happening, you know? And by the way, this is the exciting life. Some of us are like, my life is so boring. I want to tell you, you start looking around for ways to join with God, your life will stop being boring. It will get more complicated, but it will not be boring. You will meet complicated people, but you will not be bored, you know? All right, so uh, here's how I want to land. Oh, we got time. Good, good. Here's how I want to land this meeting. Uh, I, I've, I asked a couple of people to come help me this morning. Can y'all come on up? Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time. <laughs>